the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 235. You're with Paul Spain and Bill Bennett. Hey, Bill, great to have you back on the show after you've been uh, tripping halfway around the world, I think, in the in the last few days. Ah, uh, through Asia, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell us, where, where have you been? Shenzhen. Went to see, see Huawei and talk about five generation, oh, sorry, 5G mobile. Excellent. And Singapore as well on your, for on your trip? The, yeah, came back through Singapore for the phone launch, yes. Excellent. Okay, that's good. We'll hear a little bit more about that as we get into it. But first up, when we were chatting yesterday, rural broadband came up, and you know I've been talking about it quite a bit over the last week. We did touch on it fairly lightly on last week's episode, and then Thursday night on Radio Live with Karen Hay, we ended up diving into a bit of discussion around that, and then Paul Henry show on Monday morning, it, it was sort of one of the discussion topics, but haven't really really sort of you know dived into a little bit more depth and you know you made some comments that suggested we should talk about it a bit more yeah yeah basically the um, the government's rural broadband initiative is finally firing up after i think probably about five years since it was first um, planned there's been something like 150 extra towers gone into rural new zealand to um, accommodate 4g networks in rural areas the towers are built by vodafone the towers are connected with cables from Chorus, and it was a Chorus Vodafone project. That's right, it was sort of a joint, a joint venture, wasn't it? Yeah, the and there was fiber, some government money. being fed by, by Chorus. And, That's right. Yeah. And the way it worked was the government had a bundle of money, and the money is taken largely from taxing the various telcos, and it replaces the old system where they had to subsidise rural telephones. And there's been something like $300 million in total poured in and the way the government worked it was they told the companies, well, whoever comes up with the best plan gets the money to build a rural network. Vodafone and Chorus won that many years ago. But telecom were a part of it as well, well. Not, not just the, the Chorus element. No, no, that's no. it was. It was when telecom and Chorus won yep. that telecom won the deal. But, but it was the chorus part of the business. But wasn't the arrangement that telecom would have access to the benefits no, of it? Or have not I misread quite, that? Not quite, okay. no. The arrangement was that anyone would have access to those towers. So it's not just Spark gets to use, not Spark obviously being the old telecom. It's not just that Spark can put equipment on the towers along with Vodafone. Two degrees could. They've chosen not to. And other parties are able to use, to get access to the towers, to put their equipment on there. I understand in some places that is actually happening. So we would expect at some point to see something from two degrees then. We haven't really seen a... a, a no, two degrees has said they don't really have the money to play in the RBI space. But what is happening is that Spark's rural broadband is happening now. And they launched it last week, field days. And at the same time Vodafone well both Vodafone and Spark have pretty much announced the same yeah, thing. Yeah well Vodafone is, announced theirs first. Spark I think theirs was a little bit more quiet there wasn't as much noise around it. it was, I think it was only yesterday that I got their rates but they sound very very similar it sort of reminds me of the I don't know years gone by there doesn't seem to be a lot of competitive difference between the two but they both have but that said, the offerings look very, very good. Well, they are very good. I mean, the basic offering is $105 for 80 gig of data on 4G, which is... And, and that includes effectively a fixed line you know, connection, yes, doesn't it? Yes, as well. With, with sort of unlimited so, uh, uh, Yeah, in effect. And that should call... that should include national calling too so they're both on roughly the same offer which is the 105 dollars for 80 gig which is pretty much what you would have got for fixed line broadband in the city 
say, 18 months ago. It's that kind of price. Yep, and it's a little bit less if you don't want the landline. I think $95 from Spark and $100 from Vodafone. Yeah, but the speeds are actually pretty good. They're very good. Well... If you're connecting at 4G uh, speeds, then some of those speeds are pretty fantastic. I talked to a farmer not so long ago who was connecting at 80 gigabits... Sorry, 80 megabits per second. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, getting my gigas nice. and my megas yeah. confused. 80, 80, which is a fibre speed. Now, that speed is shared with other users in the same area, so you won't always get that kind of speed, and you certainly won't get that in peak viewing times and so on. But there's only a few hundred users per tower so the contention levels are not going to be very high so you will see fiber like speeds a lot of the time and given the data caps and so on it's it's a very good offer i reckon and i guess that's the advantage of the fact that they were subsidized because otherwise we wouldn't have likely seen yeah the same level of of rollout of infrastructure because it would have been hard to hard to justify and now that they've got it i guess they're working out you know what's the appropriate way to sell it and selling you know 80 gigs of of 4g data for a hundred dollars or you know slightly less with spark imagine being able to do that in the city i mean it is really really good value and when you look at that 80 gigs i know a chunk of people that are on still on plans that are you know 80 gigs or less that are on a on a dsl connection and they're finding that fine for all their home internet youtube and you know varying bits and pieces of video now i know yeah personally i use a lot more than that now but that, that's actually quite reasonable and it's a big jump up from where we were before this announcement um so I, i'm i'm pretty impressed with it i just i hope those data caps keep going up well they might go up a bit but i don't think they're going to go up in large leaps and bounds from here what's interesting is that it sets things up for the next few years as well because as we're going to talk about in a moment what happens next after 4g that's going to affect rural users a lot more than people in town so certainly when we're using the internet from home and the other thing is is that the farm applications they tend to not they don't tend to be as data heavy as some of the things people are doing in the cities as well so it's you know it seems to be the right kind of product for that market yeah i'm pretty pleased to see that i mean we've certainly heard the the complaints from people in rural areas and, and some still won't be able to get this sort of coverage but things are moving pretty quickly here in new zealand in terms of internet connectivity and you know the rbi piece definitely uh, you know fills in you know a, a pretty big um, you know gap that we've had in the past with this rural broadband initiative all right now moving on i want to hear a little bit about your trip to shenzhen and why huawei took you up there and what they wanted to show you i understand that this is a, a research and development base for for huawei of quite some scale yeah yeah i thought i was going to a factory and i got there and i realized it's not a factory at all it's it's a two square kilometer campus Right, so it's huge. I mean, it's many, many rugby fields of um, campus. 30,000 people work there. A lot of them live very nearby in dormitories and and when i say dormitories they're not like you know we're not talking rows of beds we're talking nice looking apartment buildings yeah and thirty thousand people on site and they're all engaged in various forms of well not all of them in research and development there's a lot of admin as well but they're not making things this isn't a factory this is basically you know intellectual stuff goes on in this place well i guess when you look at what they do as a company you know handsets are the sides you know consumers see and we're obviously starting to you know see more of that activity as 
as they really you know, you know ramp up that side of it particularly here in New Zealand they make a big effort to make known what they're up to but you know behind the scenes the mobile networks and all the other little devices are a very big part of their business I mean they're right up there in terms of their involvement in mobile networks in New Zealand of course having supplied you know 4G LTE networks for, for Spark. Spark and 2 Degrees right That's so right. they're a really big player on a global basis with that side but, but and Huawei kit is going into the ultra fast broadband as well around the country yep and Vodafone use their you know their equipment for yeah. things like mobile hotspots and uh, you know the ADSL and UFB you know, routers and so on that go into homes well there's three parts of the business there's the network business which is the main business there's the handsets and how they got into handsets is an interesting story which I'll come to in a moment and there's the other part of the business is they have enterprise computing gear as well which is pretty much goes head to head with companies like Cisco thing that I went up there mainly to talk about was was 5G mobile which is it's due to come in around about 2020 and the the phone equipment companies are already planning for that they're already developing the next generation of mobile the services and i had a pretty good interview with a guy called alex wong who's the he's the vice president of marketing but he seemed to be right across engineering i think it's the way that these companies organize themselves that you might have a marketing title but you're actually an engineer or or whatever but anyway um the interview was in the paper on i had the interview in the um, new zealand herald at the weekend fascinating stuff from alex wang uh, wong rather he was talking about the plans for 5g now none of this is in nothing none of this is set in stone because they're still talking about what 5g is going to mean but the gist of it is is that when we went from 3g to 4g we were effectively going from dial up to fixed line broadband adsl or whatever from what perspective in terms of the performance kick but also also in terms of dial-up was an analog network and it was really about voice whereas dsl is digital okay and fibers digital sorry fibers digital yeah but in the same way that the voice the 3g network was really built for voice the 4g network was built digital from the ground up really focused on data yeah right? really focused yeah, on absolutely. data yeah yeah and so they were so talking in terms of the step up from there to 5g is like the move from dsl to viber in terms of performance and it is i mean this is all very arbitrary this isn't really set in stone or anything but there's some quantitative leaps that are going to happen when we move to 5g and the point about it is that we're going to be it's going to be a seamless data network in a way that 4G isn't. So, for example, you could be having a call on your mobile device to someone on the 5G network and you can switch from voice to video to sharing data and so on all within the one seamless thing whereas at the moment you'd have to swap apps and you know move around and so on to do that it's also going to be optimized for the internet of things and that's probably the big deal so those devices tend to be very you know low power in terms you know they they need to be able to you know run for a long time not have too much power but you know easily communicate from from anywhere right and i mean Obviously, it varies according to what the thing is, but you know that's one of the uh, one of the hallmarks as we expect. Uh, uh, you know, five G to be an, enable, I guess, a broader range of devices going forward. Yeah, yeah, but the thing is, <laughs> the thing, <laughs> the things are important to this because with a three G, well, sorry, with a four G network, you can um, you can a site can handle roughly a thousand to three thousand devices at any one moment so on a 3g tower sorry a 4g tower at the moment you might have three or four thousand phones uh, connected at any one moment and that's pushing it that's that's 
you know beyond the limit of the site with a 5g site they reckon um you can have a million devices connected to a tower um and the density could be as high as one one device per square meter so you're talking about a massive increase in the number of connections um per tower um you know a thousand times as many connections as you get at the moment um obviously the data is going to be faster they're talking about speeds of up to 10 gigabits per second um on the 5g network um you won't be you won't be doing that speed all the time and again it's shared bandwidth so um individual people won't be getting that if you're sharing it with another million devices you'll be seeing a just tiny fraction of that but remember a lot of those yeah. devices are only going to be using very very small amounts of data are very infrequent yeah lots of that especially with the the you know internet of things type uh, type devices whatever they may be that's an that's quite interesting because i remember uh talking to alcatel uh lucent who i guess are, you know uh, one of the the arch rivals of uh, huawei in the, in the space and of course uh recently i don't think we actually did discussed it on the podcast but going back a couple of months uh it was announced that uh you know nokia uh well it's now nokia siemens networks um because so, all these things have merged yeah. uh are acquiring alcatel lucid That's so right. you, you've basically got the the four you know remaining sort of key industry players have sort of you know paired up and then they're, they're joining up again and so you've got all four of the the original uh you know big guys uh, up against uh, Huawei, and that's uh, you know is fascinating that they've all had to get together to uh, uh, to compete against right. this Chinese giant. It's uh, it, it's amazing, but the, I didn't you know I, from the discussion I had around five G, uh, things sound a little bit different. But I guess these things are still quite fluid and still yeah. being worked out. And there was talk about the need to have. Uh, much my impression was more sites that were were needing to be a lot closer to deliver the the the, the results so um, there is there's an element of that um, okay. there's an element of that part of it is that the other thing that uh, 5g will be able to do is it'll be able to consolidate all the bandwidth on all the frequencies so um so if you've got say some in the 700 um, megahertz spectrum and some in the 1800 and blah 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 you'll be able to run those all together and share that on um, and it'll be seamless across them um which is something i think you can do that with 4g but it's not it's not as seamless as this aims to be um yeah i mean it's certainly what you know one of the things with dual carrier on uh, on lte yeah. at the moment is those things could get bonded together and that's how you get the you know the faster speeds above the one uh, 150 megabits that's although in, in reality and in, in real world those aren't speeds that you would typically see and 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 um possibly it'll include frequencies which aren't normally associated with mobile phones so the frequencies which are used for wi-fi for example could be included in that as well and um, there was talk of you know really you know higher um you know spectrum bands you know up to 28 gigahertz yeah. and 38 gigahertz and 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 so on in one of the articles that i read so yeah all of the above yeah um the other thing that we talked about was the latency, and the latency on 4G networks is about 25 milliseconds. It's going to be one millisecond on 5G. What does that mean for our non-technical listeners, Bill? What it means is the time it takes to basically the time it takes to wake up at the other end when you send a message. It's going to it's going to 
plummet. And and one millisecond. I mean that that makes you know communications really you know pretty instant if you're talking about you know video conversations well, and so on. But I guess there's still the element of linking you to wherever the other person is. If they're on the other right. side of the world, there's still going to be a delay. Well, it's going to be that delay. That's that's the sort of speed of light thing. But the really important thing about the latency is that it will therefore be fast enough to deal with things like driverless cars and drones so you'll be able to control drones using the network you'll be able to control driverless cars and the response time will be fast enough so that someone at the other end can respond to a problem now of course there's a lot of um, intelligence in things so they're not necessarily going to crash into each other anyway but you'll need to be able to respond really quickly and the low latency will do that low latency is needed for things for other internet of things you know if you're driving pieces of equipment on a farm and so on um you'll need that latency so it's all it's you know it's this is all just um five years away folks but the people only five years bill yeah but we probably won't see it immediately in five years time um and that's not because the technology won't be ready it will be it's because the phone companies won't have squeezed enough money out of their four-generation networks by the time that comes along. So for you guys, there's, another, there's something else, and that's called 4.5G. And it may be called, it may have another name when it comes. It may be called 4G Enhanced or whatever. And we've had varying, you know, varying iterations, I guess, with 3G. And, uh, yeah. you know, there was 3.5 and 3.75 and, you know, all sorts of varying terminologies. And, in fact, a, a lot of the early stuff that was getting called uh 4G, particularly in in the US, and I remember seeing this in uh, was it uh, Samoa was what in New Zealand we called 3G. Yeah, and LTE was a bit like that as well. Um, four, well, 4.5 is going to be in effect a software upgrade for the existing equipment, and will um, and will get close to those 5G um, levels, but it won't actually take us all the way there. Um, and that's really what. That's really what I went up to China to see. Okay, so, um, yeah. so it's a, it was a bit like beaming into the future. Great. Oh, and uh, were, were there any uh, actual technical demonstrations, or it was more you know meeting some of the the people and and just getting a little bit of a view on what they do up there? It was meeting the people. I mean, there, there's some very impressive exhibition halls where you walk around and see things but you don't actually get to try the the, the kit yet because as i say we're, they're still talking about what the specification is going to be so um it's very early stages yep and the the concept of uh, uh 4.5 g uh i think that's Touted for uh, for next year in terms of you know when when that lands is that uh, uh, 2018 okay okay so it could be a, a little bit further out and is that what's also been referred to as LTEM is that the, the, um, the same thing yeah I'm not sure about all the acronyms because because there's a bit of an alphabet soup about this because as I say they're not the you know the various companies and bodies and so on um, are not yet in alignment. It's, they're just beginning to talk about this. Right. So. Yeah, because I think LTEM is, is more for the Internet of Things, machine-to-machine yeah. communications. I and, think, and I think that and might so be a 4G technology optimised for Internet of Things. Okay. Uh, we might have to get uh, get a... a, a Telco in or uh, or someone from uh, one of one or two of the the network sides and, and hear a little bit more. But um, no, it's been fascinating, Bill. Thank you for that. Now on to other topics this week. 
we have uh, well, we've been looking at a, at some at some handsets again, as we often do. New uh, new handsets coming through. Uh, Bill, you were looking at the uh, the new Vodafone uh, handset there. What's uh, what's that model the called? Smart Prime Six. The Smart Prime Six. Uh, well, it looks a sounds lot. like something from Transformers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm it, thinking of Optimus Prime. <laughs> <laughs> um, it looks a lot like. Well, it's an an, it's an Android handset. Yep. Um, it looks like a lot like something that would have been a flagship phone about what two, three years ago. Um, it's a it's a very nice looking phone. It's got a beautiful screen, but it's just one hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah, and it's interesting because this runs um, virtually the latest version of Android. It's Android five point uh, Lollipop. Uh, so you know, often in the lower cost Android handsets, they've they've been on an o- older, uh, you know, much older version of the operating system. I waved it around the office, and you know, it wasn't immediately obvious that it was it was um, you know a, a plastic type casing. It looked as though maybe it was silver, but it's the, the grey plastic. Um, and uh, you know, I asked one person, well, you know, "What do you th- what do you think this this is worth?" And you know, they uh, somebody with a, a top end uh, Samsung handset, a thousand dollar plus type handset, and they looked at it and size wise, and you know, um, just their, their quick view of it, and they said, oh, "Well, since you're raising price, you know, it must be a good deal. Maybe it's five hundred dollars." Uh, you know, and and that was you know just just a casual comment from someone without having a close look. Um, you know, it just shows this downward the downward pressures on on price, and that we can now uh, get a pretty capable handset for a reasonably uh, you know reasonably low price when you're talking about an Android or also a Windows Phone handset. You know what you can get now in that sort of sub two hundred dollar space uh, is actually you know very good and very usable for for your average consumer. There's eight megapixel sort of rear camera in there, two megapixel front facing camera. I think it was eight gigs worth of storage. It's four G. Um, yeah, I think quad core uh, yeah, processor and so on. I mean, that's and it's and not, it's, it's not, not one not seventh the price of a Galaxy S six. <laughs> one seventh, yeah, folks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, fascinating. I mean. There, there are a few compromises, obviously, yeah. when you go to a lower a lower end handset, and you know varying features that we see at the top end that are missing. Uh, it doesn't have a removable battery, but you know realistically, when I, when I look at the you know these days, the, the number of times I'll remove the battery out of a out of a out of a handset, uh, it, you know it doesn't it doesn't tend to happen, and uh, you know that sort of price, it's uh, it's doable, and it, I think you actually could remove that the uh, the battery if you. If you really wanted to, it's got a sticker over. It's not designed to be, but uh, um, yeah, it probably is feasible to re- to replace it if you're really stuck. But the cost of doing so would probably be such that when you got to that time a couple of years down the track, you'd uh, uh, you know you'd toss that and uh, and buy another phone. So yeah, some uh, some interesting things as those prices drop. Bill, I'm interested in your opinion on you know where this is going to lead because we've been used to having the the thousand uh, dollar plus sort of flagship uh, handsets, and you know I think uh, you know it'll continue that there are going to be some really high end handsets at a premium premium price point for for some time. But when there's when there's such a big difference between, yeah. uh, you know, the the price, but not such a big difference when you look at the the specific capabilities, um, where's where's that going to land? It's going to put pressure on prices at the top end for sure. Um, I 
don't know that it's going to put as much pressure on Apple because I think Apple. I, th- I think there's two smartphone markets. I think there's the Apple market, and I think there's everything else. There's the profitable market, and then yeah. there's everything else. And, yeah. and and I guess Apple are the only ones that really uh, make any significant amount of profit off smartphones. And the, the I mean, the profits that that they make are um, yeah. I mean, completely define them as a business, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And 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 people buy Apple for different reasons to the reasons they would buy other smartphones generally. Um, but given that this is functionally very similar to a high-end Android, um, there's obviously it hasn't got all the bells and whistles. It's not quite so nice. But, you know, seven times the price is ridiculous. Um, I, I think, you know, you might be willing to pay, say, $600 for a high-end phone if you can get a good phone for $150. Um, I certainly think, um, you know, 1100 is pushing it. So I... I'm sure this is going to put downward pressure on the prices for um, those phones. But actually, it's interesting because whilst I was away with Huawei, that we were talking about how Huawei got into mobile phones in the first place. And they used to, Huawei used to make these cheap carrier-branded phones like this, um, this Vodafone one we're looking at here. Is that one made by them? Do you know? Uh, no, they, they stopped doing that four or five years ago. Oh, they they've st- completely stopped doing yeah, it? Yeah, they stopped OEMing. Oh, I didn't but, know they'd actually stopped it. I thought they were doing that in, uh, you know, concurrently. Maybe they are, but, they t- yeah. but, they, but the guy I spoke to said that it's not their business anymore. Right. Um, but the lessons the company learned from making this kind of phone is what they now use to make their um, you know their high end flagship phones so i'm picking that um, uh, there's all kinds of economics going on in the smartphone market but i'm picking that you're going to see a lot of price pressure at the high end and that you're going to see i don't know a top end android phones going to have to come down from that um, $1100 range yeah, and I mean, certainly, I mean, Huawei are one of the ones that are, that are putting those pressures on, but there's a whole bunch of Chinese manufacturers. It's, it's not, you know, it's not just them. In fact, you know, one of the things that might push Huawei's prices up is the fact that they're, they're getting into, uh, you know, advertising and, and marketing yeah. their, their handsets in the sort of manner um, that, that's more akin to what we've seen with, you know, from Samsung. And, you know, they're spending a lot of, uh, of money now on, on promotion and, and building themselves yeah. up as, as a brand, and you can imagine they keep going down the track they're doing. They will, they will kind of do, yeah, potentially what what Samsung, you know, were able to achieve over a period of years, and and go from a a, a brand that just didn't have a presence and wasn't considered a premium brand to, uh, you know, actually being a, a a really key brand. Well, yeah, you've got to ask yourself how much of the value of the phone is in the marketing. Probably a lot, given that this is one hundred and fifty, and the S six is. 1100 um now so we, we've got one other handset here we should uh we should mention which is from uh sony or sony as they used to call them um and this this is one i guess it, it's got a lot of similarities actually to uh to the vodafone uh handset and that it comes in at a lower price point. I think you said you saw it online for 199 uh, here in New Zealand. I think the retail is probably $50 more than that. Uh, but it's a um, uh, an and- Android handset with you know similar types of uh, capabilities and specs 
I've taken the case off it and it reminds me a lot actually um, of many of the Lumia handsets where it's got a back cover that kind of um, uh, comes in around the, the, the phone and, and makes it feel as though it would be reasonably robust if you dropped it reasonably strong. Um, yeah, it just, reminds me of the shelves that you put on, back on tablets again. and things. You know? Yes, yeah. Um, so hopefully I don't I don't break it putting it back together there there Bill I don't I've, no. uh, I've, I've uh, yeah I've most mostly achieved that um, but yeah you know it's um, it's that that trend of things coming down lower but it is a name brand so you expect there to be a bit more of a premium than buying a uh, you know say Vodafone's own uh, own handset which is undoubtedly <laughs> locked to their local network I I imagine. It's fifty bucks for a brand name, though. Yeah, I was looking. I was looking at the Vodafone. Um, I can't see how you get a SIM in there. Um, there must. Be oh, the back cover does come off on oh, does, on, yeah. on that one. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, I, and I'm not going to run through and compare all the uh, all all the specifications, but um, um, you know, they 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 certainly both have a have a number of similarities. I would certainly I quite prefer the the feel and and shape and so on of the uh of the sony handset but you know that just comes down to your own um whoops it's playing a video there hence the uh the noise and what's on the screen um yeah but those sorts of things come down a little bit to uh you know to your to your personal preferences um the the one thing that did uh stand out uh though about the 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 sony uh, and it's the E4G, is that it comes with Android 4.4.4. So, you know, you're actually a step behind the ape or what we were talking about there with a lot of the lower-cost handsets not having the latest version of Android. At the moment, that falls into that camp, um, but there's probably a bit more chance of this getting uh, Android updates than maybe there will be with the, uh, the, the Vodafone one. But when it starts... Uh, a step behind the eight ball. It's uh, it's you know something to to consider, and it's been one of the challenges. To be fair, that uh, Huawei have had as well launching you know cheaper handset at cheaper price points maybe hasn't given them the the room uh, to invest in and in getting the upgrades out because they haven't been very good in the past at upgrading. So you would buy that Huawei handset might be really good value, uh, but you weren't uh, so likely to get an upgrade to the newer versions when they came through. So worth worth noting, um, but in, in the scheme of it, these sort of prices you can't uh, can't can't complain too much, can you, Bill? No, no. All right, so uh, a couple more things to uh, to, to chat through. Uh, Microsoft have confirmed a few more details around their Ignite conference, and uh, this is the event previously known as TechEd. It will be their twentieth year running here in New Zealand, uh, and it's really become the the sort of uh, the big uh, tech event of of the year, really for New Zealand. It's it's been the biggest event, uh, you know, by far uh, for a really long time. Um, Bill, can you remember what sort of numbers they they attract for tech ed? It's sort of in the two thousand, uh, you know, type range, isn't it? It's, oh, a, it's, I think a, it's a big number. They, they 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 pack out the Sky City uh, yeah. event center. Maybe it's two and a half. I mean, yeah. they tend to sell it out uh, mo- most years, and uh, you know, the, I guess that's an area where having a, a bigger conference center for New Zealand will uh, will help because maybe the um, the event could could grow a little bit. Although it does seem to be about the right size. Yeah, it's the biggest event in the calendar um in new zealand by a long shot and not just in the tech world uh, you know this type of conferences i, I don't think there uh, there would be anything else that's uh uh yeah bigger 
no, in terms no. of a, a multi-day conference. So, yes, yeah, so that's coming up. Um, now, in terms of um, the, what they've announced this week is around their uh, their keynote speakers. Um, Joe Belfiore, if I've pronounced his name uh, correctly, who's uh, uh, corporate vice president in charge of uh, PC, tablet, and phone, and he's a face you see on a, on a lot of the, the big keynote launches for Microsoft. Uh, so he'll be an interesting character to have uh, down here in New, in New Zealand. Uh, they've also got uh, Chris Ford, who is uh, the Renderman business director at uh, Pixar Animation Studios. So it'll be fascinating to hear what uh, what stories he's got to tell after uh, yeah 25 years involved in the in the world of um, uh, com- computer graphics and uh, they've got uh, Laura Butler one of their distinguished Microsoft engineers and uh, James uh, Statton who's uh, GM uh, in the their cloud and enterprise uh, division so yeah, they're bringing out some um, some reasonably big names, and it it's actually unusual, I think, for them to have so many uh, you know US speakers coming coming through uh, for Microsoft. It's probably a bit more than usual, I think. I think they're making a statement about the conference being different to the tech ed. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the statement is, but it's it's a clear message there. That it's a bigger deal than the last year's tech ed. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see whether you know the the rebrand sort of hurts them, or uh, you know whether the same audience that sort of previously turned up will uh, will sign up again. Uh, but you know, sometimes when you go through a name change, it can help. Sometimes it can it can hinder. Yeah, I think the Ignite brand needs to change, and I mean, the TechEd brand needs to change in the rest of the world. So Ignite's good from that point of view. New Zealand was probably the one place where TechEd was still a name to conjure with. So um, so whether it needed changing here or not, it's going to happen because that's the way it is with a global corporation. But the, um, the thing is, is it, it looks like they're pulling the stops out to make it a big one. So, you know, good. Well, it's one of the unique things that, that Microsoft has in, uh, in, the New Zeal- you know, in the New Zealand market. When we look at the other, uh, the other big technology players, you know, I mean, nobody has anything like it. And it, and it gives Microsoft a, you know, a, a, a huge... Uh, amount of weight, I guess, within the local industry because they're interacting with with so many, uh, you know, people yeah. uh, at at the event. And uh, you know, when you can interact one on one and and in the big, you know, groups and so on that they do with the, the various speakers, uh, you know, it really lets them push their message, uh, you know, home to to the industry. And it also, it makes it makes. Um, Microsoft. I mean, Microsoft is an important company, but it underlines just no, the importance. No, it's not, Bill. Not anymore, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. It, it certainly does. But, yeah. No, I, um, if anything, I think Microsoft has come back from possibly not being important to being very important. Yeah, and, you know, I th- I think this this event, will, you know, comes following the launch of Windows 10, so, you know, there, there should be some interesting things for them to, to, to show off. Yeah, sure. I reckon I'll be working hard that week. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, now, just before we wrap up, I've been coming across more and more 
security issues, and I've heard it from the uh, the semantics, the trend micros, and you know the the varying firms that work in uh, you know in the space, particularly the antivirus and security space. That you know they keep talking about. Look, there's a lot more going on. And uh, you know, I've started to see more more of these things. Now we, we've had alerts through in recent days uh, around some security uh, issues uh, in relation to Apple and opening uh, you know certain emails on the iPhone. Uh, Bill, we, you know, we were chatting earlier uh, around an issue with uh, was it LastPass? LastPass, yeah. Uh, and some some issues there where they're telling everyone to reset their passwords. So I mean, these security problems are happening you know across the board and. and in so many regards, um, some of the ones I've uh, heard about or or, or uh, been passed information about in recent days are spear phishing attacks, where organisations are getting specifically targeted, uh, or individuals within organisations are getting targeted. Uh, we, we've seen some uh, emails that have gone to uh, gone to people, uh, and and maybe it's it's just chance, but. Uh, we saw one that uh, came from an individual within an organisation uh, to another person within that organisation and it was from the CEO to the finance person and it was asking them to transfer some funds into a particular account and it all looked very legitimate until they realised that the uh, the address it was from wasn't the correct domain name. So if you can imagine you're a .co.nz domain name and uh, someone comes out with one that's very similar like a .org.nz or something, uh, it, was, it was that sort of variation it was very very small uh and you know when they queried some some other details um you know that was when it came to light what was happening but uh, all all sorts of odd uh security issues that are going on at the moment yeah i i have some conversations recently with a couple of people in the security business and the picture i'm getting is that this isn't your normal this isn't so much malware as we know it it's more just clever use of technology to get your money in other ways and i actually came Clear across something scams. well i came across something myself earlier today when i was i was looking for something now i'm gonna to to tell you that i you know sometimes when you go down the dark alleys of the internet looking for things you, you might see stuff that you don't want to see you might um but i was actually i was actually looking for i was actually researching something to do with security um for a story that i'm writing for a client and um I went to look at some some um, dodgy end of town stuff, and I saw something which looked like a takeover. You know the ransomware takeovers where your computer is locked. What was coming up was your computer is locked in the browser. Yes, um, and and you can go and but you can go and pay some Bitcoin to this thing, and this will stop this from happening. And it wasn't. I mean, I just closed the browser, and it was it was gone. Are you sure, Bill? Are you going to get home and find all your data's gone? No, no, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Uh, but but it was it was actually quite convincing. Yeah, and it took over the browser. Now it occurred to me that that must be for Chromebooks. That must be. So this was on the Chrome. Uh, I wasn't using Chrome, right? But using, if you if you were in that year, yeah. But know. I'm thinking, what, uh, you know, obviously, I was thinking, obviously, that's a really easy thing to do because you can just close down the browser and you and you're gone. But if you're on a Chromebook, could you do that? It is you know, a browser, and, and is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. That, well, I guess you know we've we've seen those sorts of things that pop up and say you're the winner of this and all yeah. sorts of things to try and make you click. And I guess if they hit someone that had previously been hit by one of those, uh, one of those. Um, um, yeah, crypto, uh, you know, based uh, situations, 
and you know or ransomware um you could have easily uh yeah tricked somebody if they've fallen for it before maybe spent the money and they see it pop up in their browser oh i'm familiar with this oh well and then mine i suppose they have to pay again maybe i've been looking at some dodgy stuff and uh you know maybe they get a few people that way yeah yeah but it's but anyway what's 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 really interesting about this is that the the wave of crime that's happening now is not really based on the viruses and the trojans i mean that all, all those things are still there but it's really you know just it's just playing with your mind rather than with your technology yeah yeah um we saw another one where a um, an email got to somebody it was uh um, the way it was it was shared with me was that uh, the email got to one individual from somebody else who they were used to dealing with. Uh, they were used to that person had shared files with them before uh, through a file sharing platform, uh, and you know there are multiple ones: OneDrive and Dropbox and so on. And uh, this was saying, hey, you know, such and such a shared file files with you, and so they just clicked the uh, clicked the link. It all looked, looked legitimate, and uh, you know they, they were used to things being shared. And uh, up came a page that wasn't actually the legitimate URL. Um, But, of course, very easy if you're not aware and looking out for those things. And it looks, you know, very legitimate to put in your credentials. And, of course, the moment that happens, uh, you know, who knows how those those, uh, credentials are going to be utilized, particularly uh, if you're somebody that happens to use the same password in multiple places, which is, you know, a reality for some of us. So, uh, yeah. All right. Well, that uh, that probably brings us to the end of this episode, Bill. Yeah. Well, yep. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, now, people can track you down, billbennett.co.nz. That's right. Lots of your news stories and bits and pieces. You've, yeah. you've been doing a lot on the Herald lately. Yeah. Herald, occasional stuff on TV, radio, you name it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. And uh, Twitter, where do people track you down on uh, Twitter? Bill Bennett NZ. Excellent. And uh, you can track me down at Paul Spain on Twitter. Uh, and you can uh, find this and other podcasts at podcast.co.nz uh, or the New Zealand Tech Podcast is just nztechpodcast.com. Hey, thanks for everyone. Thanks everyone for uh, for joining us, and we will of course be back again uh, next week. Uh, we might be a little bit earlier in the week because uh, I'm going to be uh, popping uh, out of town. I'll be in uh, in San Francisco for a few days, and uh, we might uh, we might be reporting back a little bit of what I get to see up there as well. All right, see ya. Bye. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.